You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's windrows they have the men's windrows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out welcome to the southern ground hunting podcast i'm your host parker mcdonald and this is episode number 60 Today I'm talking with Nicholas Williams, a.k.a. Nutterbuster, talking about a trip that he took on a special opportunity hunt and how he adapted to the situation that he was presented with and ended up killing a really good buck. Hope you guys enjoy the show. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am riding solo today because Drew had a sick child and uh, he was planning on coming here and recording this episode with me, but due to sickness, he is not here. I'm also not feeling too terribly great, so I'm going to keep this as short as I possibly can. Um, uh, We've got a really good episode. I just got off the phone with Nick Williams. Uh, You may know him from his YouTube channel. That is the uh, Nutter Buster channel or from his uh, presence on the Saddle Hunter Forum, on a lot of the saddle hunting Facebook pages and groups. Uh, he's a big presence on those pages as well. Super smart guy. And he had a killer trip on a special opportunity hunt that he took with his dad this past week. He has been on a streak just killing deer every single day, it seems like. And uh, we're going to talk about some of his tactics, specifically how you adapt and remain mobile in uh, in different situations. And this one, he was he went and scouted in October, and obviously October the vegetation is totally different. There's a lot of different things about the land, uh, and his hunt was in December, so um, he had to adapt and came away with him and his dad both killing two nice bucks. So we're going to talk about that. 
Before we get into that, I want to remind you guys that you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND on uh, ScreeGear.com for 15% off of your order. I've been using this stuff all year, and it's been absolutely incredible. I've loved it, and uh, I stay I stay warm. It keeps me comfortable. The biggest things that I was trying to do this year was reduce the amount of bulk that I had. I've been using bibs and big bulky jackets, and especially being in the saddle, that's just not really conducive to that style of hunting, and so I wanted to reduce that bulk, and Scree Gear was a really good option for me, and uh, I'll tell you another thing that's been really impressive about it is that I go through a lot of briars. I briar bust like crazy, and um, a lot of the a lot of the really expensive camo hunting apparel lines don't really work that well with briars. It'll pick, it'll tear, it'll rip. Um, I've seen a lot of a lot of horror stories from southern hunters trying to use this uh, a lot of these you know more expensive brand name stuff, and it's just not. It's not holding up to a lot of the briars, and I have had practically zero damage done to any of my clothing through briars. I got tangled up the other day in like a freaking briar thicket and came away with not, I mean, the clothing looked brand new aside from the uh, the blood that has kind of stained on it, uh, which is a good thing. That means it did its job. So uh, again, that's all lowercase, all one word, Southern Ground at checkout, ScreeGear.com. That'll save me 15%. Uh, let's see, is there anything else I need to remind you of? Check out the YouTube channel. Been uploading videos there weekly. Just opened, uploaded a video there tonight from uh, me and Dad's uh, rutcation trip. I've got a lot of videos still left to edit and upload. So the next couple weeks are going to be video heavy. Hopefully, uh, I've got one more buck tag here in Alabama, so maybe uh, sometime before the next podcast, I'll get to fill that. It's uh, it's doubtful, but it's a possibility, and uh, you can bet there's going to be a video there of that if I do. Um, so check out the YouTube channel. That's the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Other than that, check us out on Facebook, Southern Ground Hunting, on Instagram, at Southern Ground Hunting, and uh, that's going to be it. Let's get into this episode with Mr. Nick Williams. All right, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am thrilled today um, for the first podcast of 2020, the first podcast of the decade. We have got Mr. Nutterbuster himself. What's going on, man? <laughs> man, not a uh, not much. Just just killing deer and uh, uh with, with an intro like that, I just want to say the uh, the rest of the decade you, you got nowhere to go but up from here if you interviewing me it's the first podcast of the decade so <laughs> that's you awesome you have man. a rosy future we we had to set the bar high you know that's just what we had to do um but no, his his real name is not nutter buster your real name is nicholas williams do you go by nick most of the time yes sir unless i'm in trouble all right, perfect. Then I will continue calling you Nick. Maybe call you Nutterbuster if I get a wild hair. But uh, that worked. So, so Nick, man, tell me, tell me about where you're from. Like what you do for a living. We're gonna get into some heavy uh, deer hunting conversation because so you've had a couple of really good weeks here lately. Uh, but tell me where you're from. A little bit about yourself. I'm from uh, North Baldwin County, Alabama. I actually work at a university all the way down on the Gulf Coast. And uh, 
I hunt a lot around the Mobile, Tensaw Delta and their surrounding areas. And here in the past couple of years, I've been branching out into some different WMAs up a little bit further north. Uh, I like saddle hunt. I like the mobile hunt. Just like to hunt for about anything, really. Squirrels, turkey, deer, ducks, just whatever. If the state will let me shoot it, I'll go give it a crack. <laughs> so I, that's that's funny you mentioned that. I've I've been following along on Facebook with your season and um, kind of the things. So I, I actually got got to uh, meet you at the Saddle Palooza, the 2019 Saddle Palooza. You were there showing off your all your climbing methods and stuff and impressing the heck out of everybody. Um, and since then, really, I've kind of followed along with with what you do. And uh, <laughs> you're not you're not lying about anything that the state will let you shoot you go out and do it like it seems like every time you post something like one week it's ducks then the next week it's squirrels the next week you know you're going on a pig hunt and then and then now you're really deep into deer season and i'm like man this guy is all over the place it it takes me you know i have to devote the whole time to deer season if i want to be successful and it seems like you're just kind of like well what do i want to shoot today so that's uh (laughs) that's pretty cool that's pretty so cool. It, so it, it's not it's not so much what I want to shoot; it's just what what's there to shoot right now. Uh, so everything, you know, deer obviously they easier to shoot in the rut. Um, squirrels are easier to shoot in the early season. Ducks are easiest to shoot right around Christmas. I took from Thanksgiving to Christmas. I usually take that off just to duck hunt. So uh, when you public land hunt, you get to kill a lot more stuff if you just you know, diversify. And the whole time you're out there, you know, the whole time I've been duck hunting, I may or may not have seen a, a few bucks in the woods that I'm going to go back and set up on. So. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And, and that's one thing you mentioned to me earlier, and we're going to talk about here in a little bit is, you know, every time you're out in the woods, you know, it's kind of a multitasking thing. If you're turkey hunting, you're still deer scouting. If you're squirrel hunting, you're still Absolutely. deer scouting. Or, uh, I was, I was actually reading on Facebook. Somebody today was talking about, um, and it, it very well may have been you, but they were talking about, you know, they went out and found a duck hole and they had been duck hunting it a lot and started noticing a lot of deer sign in there, went in and killed a buck. I think the other day, it, I don't think it was you, it was somebody <laughs> I believe on the saddle hunter page though. And yeah, went man, in and killed I, like I a 10 point. Was me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. But, uh, but that's, that's a really interesting tactic that I think a lot of people forget about. I forget about that too. You know, while I'm turkey hunting, sure. I've got turkeys on my mind. I'm not thinking about deer and, and vice versa. But um, So you, you mentioned saddle hunting. Um, why don't you tell us your setup, you know, kind of what you're using, how long you've been doing that? Um, I, I guess I've been saddle hunting for three or four seasons now. Um, as far as what setup I'm using, last year I could have told you real easy. I had one saddle. I used it every time I went out. And then – uh. Man, this past year, I kind of had an identity crisis because I met John, uh, John Reed over at JX3 back in uh, February at Saddlepalooza. And uh, I, got, I got a JX3 that I hunt out of this season. Um, I've been hunting out of my kite. I bought one of those over the summer to try out. And then uh, I got on over the summer, I got on uh, Pro Staff for Trophy Line. So I've been hunting out of their, their saddles, the Ambush Pro and the Ambush Light. Um, and I, I really just been trying to figure out what works for me. I'd like to get back to having just one system, but I've been climbing on bolts and squirrel steps. And now I got this lone wolf custom gear stuff that I've been playing with. So it seems like every time I hit the woods, I got a different setup and it, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, it's really impressive how much good stuff there is out nowadays, but it's, uh, 
when you gotta you gotta really pay attention packing stuff when you're when you're switching out methods like that. So oh, I like man. I usually like to just grab and go. This year I've had to spend a little bit more time on my prep work. Dude, I I can't imagine like you know, if I just change like a certain rope, you know, like if I change my tether or I change a carabiner, it th- throws my whole system off. I can't imagine changing mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff um, like that throughout the oh, season. Yeah. Like that's, that's, uh, that's pretty intense, man. I, I, I've, I have noticed that, you know, I've, you know, when you, when you start following different people, especially on social media, keeping up with what they're doing, you kind of learn what their system is, you know, for you, uh, the first time that I, really saw you in action was that saddle palooza while you were showing off kind of the the bolt system and everything that you were using and yep. uh and that was super impressive i was like man that's that's pretty dang cool and so you know i kind of <laughs> figured that was what you did well then as i got to watching your stuff and and seeing some of your videos on your youtube channel i, I was like and this what what is this guy actually doing like what's his go-to method and it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like you don't really have one like it's just kind of whatever you feel like doing that day if man if if bolts were legal everywhere um they're legal here around where i hunt if they were legal everywhere that's that chapter would be closed um they're perfect when you can put a pound of gear in your pocket and use it to climb and as a ring of steps once you get up to height um that's awesome when you can put your climbing method and platform in a cargo pocket but unfortunately some of these places i've been hunting um you know they they don't always allow you to do that and i've started to look like i got this coming year i got a a hunt scheduled um up north actually with uh red squirrel off the saddle hunter for him i'm gonna go up there with him and swamp sniper and uh they frown on that up there and then there's a sandbar hunt in florida that i'm I'm gonna put in for for the drawing and they kind of frown on puncturing trees so it's uh everything's inferior to bolts in my mind but I, i gotta find a solution and it's it's going to kill me. I might just go back to sitting on a stool like I used to back in the good old days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand. I actually, uh, uh, for the first time ever, one of the pigs that I killed in Texas, I killed one pig with a knife and then I did, I killed another one with my rifle and, uh, me and dad just set up on the ground and he sat in a chair and I just was at ground level in my, in my saddle, which was pretty cool. It was convenient. It was comfortable. Good. And it, it was great, honestly. But uh, so oh, yeah. so I, it's interesting you're talking about, you know, things that are legal and and illegal on certain pieces of public land. I've actually got a screenshot of a, a Facebook message that somebody sent to the Alabama Department of Fish and Wildlife or whatever that Facebook page is. And they said, hey, can we use spurs on public land in Alabama? And the answer was, you can absolutely use spurs. And yep. I, I screenshotted it. I don't know. Have you seen that? Did you know that? Uh, so a couple of years ago, I, I I try to keep the biologist down here in my district and uh, run stuff by him. And, and yes, I've always got the AOK. My understanding is that for the most part, they're more concerned. And I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Don't don't take another buster's word. Call and uh, check with the DCNR before you do something. But down here, it seems that they're more concerned with people leaving stuff in the woods than they are with penetrating the bark. Um, yeah, that that's been my experience. So yeah, that's and that's that's kind of what I gathered. You know, I know for sure it's not legal to use like uh, uh, 
screwing steps or anything like that right um on right. a lot of the places where i like to hunt um so i mean and, and that's what it seems more like you know they're cutting a lot of that timber down and uh right you try running your machines over those uh screwing steps i'm sure that messes some stuff up pretty seriously so so i totally get it oh, yeah. but but i know for me um i have never owned a pair of climbing spikes but uh, I have tried them before, and I definitely see how those could be pretty beneficial as far as weight is concerned, for sure. You know, probably the next best thing to the carbon bolt system like what you were, you've were you been talking about. Um, right. And, uh, and it may be something that I give a try next year. You know, I, I've been using the Hawk Heliums. I modified them and use a five-step aider, but, man, those, those climbing spikes, whenever I see people just, you know, carrying them in and it, it ain't hardly anything it kind of makes me a little jealous uh but yeah, i have grown pretty accustomed to my uh my hawk heliums <laughs> and that whole climbing method I, and like i said earlier man like changing up things that i've already got kind of a perfected system for really messes me up so man i yeah. i don't know how you do that man for real it I, like i said I, I don't prefer to do it like when it's deer season, I like to just focus on finding deer. I don't want to think about, is my rifle sighted in? Do I have all the gear I need? I, I try to make everything as simple as possible. Yeah. Um, but but this year I've, I've met, you know, um, I've met a lot of cool people, um, you know, got, got to help some smaller businesses. That's what I love about the saddle hunting thing is it's kind of where archery used to be back in the day where you had a lot of innovation, a lot of small businesses, doing a lot of real cool things um you know used to pro staff and all that was a, a big thing in the archery industry now it's all kind of standardized it's settled down it's gotten a little stagnant um but with saddle hunter man there's small guys coming up with awesome ideas and yeah. you know getting to, to try some of that stuff and field test it and um give them some feedback that's my biggest thing is i would um you know, I, I don't mind paying for gear. You know, sometimes people send me stuff, and I won't lie, that's awesome hunting. It's not cheap. But yeah. the coolest yeah. thing for me is when you get to say, well, man, this is awesome, but it'd be great if this was different. And, uh, you know, them smaller guys, when they take your feedback, Dan over at Eastern Woods Outdoors or Mark over at Tree Hopper, I've, I've been able to kind of uh, in, inject a little of the Nutter Buster DNA into some stuff here and there in a small way, and that's that's real real satisfying. Because I used to work at a big box store, sold hunting gear, and a lot of that stuff, man. It's it's very subpar. I hardly ever buy anything from a big box store. Um, it's just it's kind of the all the way across the board. Yeah, so, no, you're you're the, exactly the stuff right. That we have nowadays is amazing. You're exactly right. You know, I've. That's kind of what I've noticed, you know, and, and a lot of people, you go on like a, a big, a big forum, um, uh, especially Facebook, a lot of the Facebook forums we have, uh, I don't know if you're a part of the Alabama deer hunters page, but you get you yes, know, people, sir. people ask questions like, what's the best camo? And, uh, you get, <laughs> you know, the, the answers that most people are using that they're buying at big box stores, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. No, no, not a bit. Yeah. But when you're asking for the, what's the best, what's the best clothing to wear into the woods, you know, a lot of your, a lot of your best companies are going to be those direct to consumer type companies, you know, but you barely ever yeah. see those mentioned on those big, huge forums. 
Um, but that's one of the things yep. that I really like about, you know, like the Saddle Hunter page, the Saddle Hunter forum, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. You're going to get, you're going to get answers from people who are really, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle for them. And so they're, they're spending the money to get, you know, the best performance, uh, I won't even call it camo performance apparel to, uh, you know, for me, sure. it's to stay in the woods longer. You know, I want to use the best thing I can that's going to keep me the warmest, going to keep me the most comfortable. It's going to be the most durable so that I can be in the woods for longer. And uh, and you're going to get Absolutely. a lot of those kind of answers when you get into a lot of these scenes like saddle hunting, um, the hunting beast page, a lot of that kind of stuff. So um, to kind of wrap up this Absolutely. part, why don't you tell us uh, your YouTube channel and where people can kind of figure out where uh, what you're using and they can see that stuff in action. Yeah, so I've, I've got a little little old piddling YouTube channel. It's called Nutter Busters, real simple. And uh, I do do some gear reviews, do some uh, DIY stuff, do some hunting videos. It just, all just started. I used to, uh, I, I got way too much free time where I work. So I posted a lot on Saddle Hunter, and uh, people got to know me. People started asking questions, and a lot of that stuff, it was just easier to start doing the videos, you know, show, not tell, and uh so I, I started doing that, and lo and behold, people actually watched, and uh, it's it's a thing now. I ain't been doing real good this past hunting season. I've been spending too much time in the woods, but we're kind of on the back half of that, so to speak, and uh, I'm kind of ramping that back up, so there should be some videos coming soon on some gear I've been playing with this season, and I've already got a couple of little things I'm going to tweak and do, and then a, a big part of what I want to do this next season is... Uh, you you probably know this. So if you're sitting there looking at your YouTube videos, a lot of the ones that perform real well are going to be your gear reviews and your DIY videos, how tos, stuff like that. Yep. And uh, particularly, it seems the gear reviews. I guess because you're kind of piggybacking off of the the hype that the manufacturers already have up there. But um, something I've always been big on is trying to you know help people get hunting. We lose hunters every year. It seems like hunting's kind of on the slow fade here in the U.S. and uh, I met a lot of people, particularly when I was in college, young guys who, if your dad or your uncle or your granddad didn't hunt, then it's it's hard to get into it by yourself. It's really intimidating. Uh, there's a lot of people I met. Uh, I got one guy that I work with right now. He's really interested in it, but he's never done it. So I'm going to try to start transitioning over into some more videos, basic stuff, you know, how to choose a rifle, how to get sighted in, how to break an area down to scout it, how to find a piece of public land near you, um, how to set up a bow, stuff like that, basic stuff that I think kind of, it either gets covered in a less than satisfactory way for me, it just just gets kind of glossed over, or it's super advanced, you know, just kind of stuff that gets skipped. Um, yeah. Or just, just giving lip service to. Yeah, I mean, when you go and, a good example for anybody who's ne maybe not necessarily into YouTube stuff. Everybody has looked up at some point or another how to change the oil in your car, and you look that sure. up on YouTube. That's such a such an easy thing to do. You know, when it comes to mechanic work, that's one of the easier things to do. But I'll bet you it's one of the most viewed videos on YouTube. You know, and so right. people forget how. You know, like if somebody doesn't know anything about cars, it's going to be hard to change the oil. If somebody doesn't know sure. anything about deer hunting, it's going to be hard to sight in a bow. Um, it's going to be hard to clean a rifle. It's going to be hard to maybe even learn how to, uh, like, load a rifle. You know, I mean, 
Sure. And if, if you watch the news a lot, you know that uh, a lot of a lot of uh, political people don't even know how to use a rifle or the correct terminology. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Right. And so, uh, man, I think that's I think that's super cool, and and it's actually a really good segue into the next thing that I wanted to kind of talk about. But first, before we get into that, I want to know where the name Nutterbuster came from. So it it was it was kind of a spoof. Um, I I don't take a whole lot of things very seriously. I do <laughs> I do take deer hunting fairly seriously, um, but especially when I started working, um, kind of in the industry, so to speak, you start meeting people, you start kind of getting inundated, right? You're working in your archery shop and there's always a TV, Mike Waddell and Bill Jordan. And, um, what is it? The Lakowski's Lee and Tiffany. Mm-hmm. Is, is that right? All, yeah. all those big names. They're always flashed up on their duck commanders. They got the skull face paint, super cool logos, the heavy rock music. They're just, so hardcore, man, and uh, so cool, so very cool. And I, I could never take it seriously, man. It always that stuff would crack me up. So uh, the nickname kind of come across. It was it was kind of a throw off. And I and I love Mike Waddell as much as the next guy. I used to watch a lot of his videos. But you got the bone collectors, right? It's tough, hardcore. Got the skull logo. Uh, well, I was squirrel hunting, and there are, there are no you know you got the duck commanders, you got the bone collectors. So I figured, well, we'd have the nutter busters, and it's uh, it's just kind of a play. It's kind of a play on squirrel hunting. I may not be good for much. I'm not the world's best deer hunter, but I guarantee you, I'm uh, I'm on the right side of the bell curve when it comes to shooting squirrels. So that's awesome. I like that. I figured it had something to do with squirrel hunting, but uh, oh that's, yeah, that's awesome. I like that. I didn't know the the whole backstory on on all that kind of stuff, man. That's hardcore. What you need to do is do a, an intro. Basically, just copy one of those one of those guys' intro and yep. uh, just spoof it. I think that'd be awesome. It it would be awesome. It would require that I take some time to learn how to edit and all that. If somebody out there in in the wide world of the internet wants to volunteer to make me an intro like that, I will definitely use it and get a <laughs> kick out of it. That's uh, awesome. That's cool, man. I like that. All right. So so the segue I want to talk talk about you were you're talking about you know really wanting to focus on getting. Uh, new hunters into the outdoors so how did you get started man i i kind of won the lottery um i got an awesome man as a father got got awesome family just in general got an awesome mom awesome dad uh but my dad in particular i didn't realize it until i started getting older but he sacrificed a lot of time and effort and good hop hunting opportunities for himself to get me out there. So I honestly, I don't remember my first deer hunt because I was going with my dad. I love my dad. I wanted to go anywhere that he went. So when he went hunting, I wanted to go. He loved me. So he took me. And, uh, I can tell you my first deer kill. I can tell you some of my early hunts, but I, I I do not remember a time when I was not interested in chasing deer. Deer was kind of my first love. And then as I kind of got older, um, I started branching out into different stuff. Turkey's not so much, but I've gotten heavy into ducks the past couple of years. Um, I got heavy into squirrel hunting, a um, little bit of everything. But it's just, just like I said, exposure to a family member who hunted. Yeah, um, it's it's hard to pick up. I got a lot of respect and admiration for adult onset hunters because that's a 
that's a lot of bars to jump over. Yeah, man, I, I, I understand that. I'm, I've got several buddies who are, who try to get into it, you know, as adults, but it's really hard to, to balance a lot of the things that life throws at you as an adult and still prioritize deer hunting. Because if you want to be successful at deer hunting, most of the time you have to prioritize it to, to a certain degree. But I'm, man, I'm a lot like you, you know, my dad, uh, he took me when I was seven and pretty much from that point on, I have been die hard all about it. And, uh, and so I, I can totally relate. And I know there's a lot of guys that listen to this that can probably totally relate. Um, but man, I don't know about you, but I see like a lot of people who maybe were raised that way, the way that you and I were, um, to love it. And they're not paying it forward to their kids. And, um, man, I just, I just don't understand that. And I know it's hard, like, especially with our, our scene, public land, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and you get very few opportunities at deer when they do come. And, uh, and you've worked really hard for that opportunity. And so I understand that it's hard to, to, to prioritize taking somebody else, but man, when you, when you look at, at what comes out of that, you know, I saw that that you actually were able to put your dad on a, on a big buck, which is awesome. You know, the, just the, the payback that you get for that as a father that your dad must feel and that my dad must feel knowing that, Hey, you know, their, their greatest passion is something that I had a whole lot to do with, man. And I just, I wish more people would see that and more people would follow that because I think it's incredible. I actually got to take my little girl. She's two, she's little. And, uh, <laughs> I, I took her, when we were in Texas, I took her hunting for the first time last week, which was just, I mean, dude, I didn't care if we killed anything. She didn't care if we killed anything. We were just out there enjoying it. She shot a gun for the first time. It was a little, one of those, uh, uh, gamo super high powered pellet guns. She shot yeah. that for the first time. I mean, crap dude, at, at two years old, the girl went hunting and she was quiet. She did great. Um, <laughs> and man, I'm, I'm just hoping that she'll, you know, that'll be a passion for her for the rest of her life. Just because, you know, it may have started because she wanted to do what daddy did. But man, I I think that's awesome. So I have a lot of respect for guys like your dad and my dad who who sacrificed that time that they could have been on their own and putting putting deer on their own wall, you know, and and letting us do yeah. it because that's that's just incredible. Absolutely, and it's it, like I said, it wasn't until I got older. And started having some success on my own, started killing deer, and I got to thinking about it. I would I would take some buddies with me, and you knew if you're taking a new hunter, especially if you're taking them deer hunting, um, your odds of success just plummeted through the basement and, and out the bottom of the foundation. Like, you're, <laughs> you're most likely, if you're taking somebody, uh, and I've took people that before I took them, you know, they'd never shot a firearm. So you got to take them to the range, make sure that they know the basics. They're not going to shoot themselves or you. And you take somebody like that and you're just not going to see any deer on public land. It's just, your odds go down. They're slim as it is with just you out there, you know, <laughs> thinking you know what you're doing. But so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And I, I the individuals that I take hunting, I want to pass it on. I'm passionate, but you know, you're just sacrificing it. And then to think about taking a kid who, you know, when I was little, I was good. I, I will say this. I've talked to my dad about it, and he said that I was more into it than the average bear, so to speak. I know I was more into it than both my sisters. Um, 
I always, even when I was young, you know, if, if I got told we won't see any deer unless you sit still and be quiet, I tried my hardest to sit still and be quiet as long as I could. But, uh, you know, you're, you're giving that hunt up. That's it. You're not, you're not killing any deer and that's, that's mighty hard to do and to be yeah. able to, uh, you know, as we got older, we started hunting together and you get a little synergy and I think we both shot deer because of each other. And then especially, this past weekend to be able to go up there and put my dad on that was his personal best buck uh any way that you measure it that was his best deer and for me to be able to go up there and do the scout and put him on it draw the tag put him on it that that meant a lot that made me feel real good that's cool man that's that's so cool um like i i wish I i do wish more people would would see that and see kind of you know you know the relationship if you're anything like me and my dad we have a best friend type relationship now that i'm an adult you know he's the first person i call when i'm out of the woods by myself he lives all the way across (laughs) the country he lives in texas you know i don't get to see him we don't get to hunt together a lot but man you can guarantee we're texting the whole time we're in the woods together and that's because he took me you know and so i think uh, I think a lot of guys would benefit greatly from, from doing that and, um, and kind of just, just kind of lighting the fire in their kids, you know, so to speak, like, like what my dad did and what your dad did. So, um, so let's talk about that, dude. So you, you, you drew this hunt, um, yeah. a, a special opportunity hunt this past week. Um, just kind of, I don't even know where to start on it. You've killed so many freaking deer in the last <laughs> week and a half or two weeks i don't even know where to start you know better than me so just uh just start talking man let's let's talk about it man the the soas so i this was the first year i put in for them um and, and me and you talked about it a little bit you know the odds any any time that there's a draw just that element of well maybe it'll happen maybe it won't happen versus you can focus on your local wma where you know it's going to happen the wma is down here i got a lot of experience with them i kill deer on them that's you know it's safe mm-hmm. but i started looking at these soas started looking at the deer that they came off of i started looking at the boone and crockett and the pope and young records and and the counties that these these soas were in i'm like man that's just better habitat and that's a big thing for me I think everybody, if you got money for private land or if you're stuck with public land, I think a lot of people would be better off to abandon that backyard honey hole and and go hunt a good piece of land. You know, for example, this SOA was in Dallas County, Portland Landing, used to be owned by Mossy Oak Corporation. Phenomenal chunk of land in a phenomenal part of the state. A lot of record book bucks come off of it. You wanna know how many record book record bucks came off of baldwin county they were recorded in the pope and young and boone and crockett records take a guess i'm gonna say well i'm not gonna guess because i think i know i'm pretty sure in it like (laughs) one or two it's like zero zero (laughs) so at the at the world deer expo this past year they had a map of all the counties and and those numbers and stuff and i remember it was low down there yeah there's there's baldwin county there are, and now they kill, don't get me wrong. Like I got friends that farm around Somerdale, Robertsdale, stuff like that. They got private land that's been in their family for generations. And there are big deer in Ball County. And there's a lot of people that shoot book bucks that don't enter them. But when you're looking at one county and it's got zero and you're looking at another and it's got a hundred, 
Yeah. Maybe you should go hunt that county that's got 100. And a lot of these SOAs, they're just very good quality land. So I put in for them with low expectations, figured worst thing that could happen is you said no. Right. You know, I didn't get you on for them. It, didn't cost, it doesn't cost anything to put in for them. Very little effort on your part. You log in, you hit some buttons on the computer, you put in. And uh, lo and behold, I got picked for Portland Landing, which would, would have been my choice if they would have just said, hey, pick from any of them. That's what I would have picked. And then I got picked for Zone 16, which they've recently acquired. And I think talking with the guys up there until this year, I think this was the first year that they let you do the SOA draw hunts for it. Before that, they just did the mentor hunts up there. So I won the lottery in the best way possible. I'd rather win that than the Powerball, have a good deer hunt for the weekend. Heck yeah. Uh, so one got that, uh, waited on the emails for them to send you the package. I went up there, scouted, uh, burned two days up there. And really, to be honest, it would have been worth going up there, even if I hadn't had the chance to hunt it, just to get to scout it. Um, and just a side note, I like this. I mean, you had this conversation. You don't want to talk about your local honey holes, your WMAs. But the cool thing about the SOAs is I've been drawn for it. I killed deer. The odds of me hunting it again are pretty low. Yeah. So so you can talk about it, which is nice. Because yeah, usually that, if you're a public land hunter, you don't talk about your honey holes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, I, I saw in two days of scouting up there, I saw five rack bucks. I stopped counting how many does I saw, and I stopped counting how many pigs I saw. It was over a dozen of each. Wow. Uh, saw more deer walking around with a compass and a map up there in two days than I usually see all season. Um, so what, what was so it like? Put, what, put in to do, what time were you no, being able ahead. to scout this? Like what time of year was they, it? They do a designated scouting day up there. And I think everybody, you get different weekends that you're drawn for, but all the hunts, they have one scouting day. I want to say it was like the first week of October. It was right before deer season started. Okay. So, I got you. Uh, so that's that's a pretty decent time, I guess, to get to scout. Well, n- not necessarily because it's still it's still pretty green, and a lot of the habitat habitat it changes by the time you actually get to hunt it. So I'm sure. Did you notice that making any difference in uh, you know where you were able to set up versus what you were finding when you were scouting? Well, so the the thing up there, I guess the short answer is yes. There there was a difference. The um, the areas that I was hunting, I, I did not kill deer off the areas that I'd scouted, put it that way, but knowing the property was valuable. Um, up there is very different. The deer aren't pressured at all. I think there were like two weekends where that property got hunted before I hunted it, which is outstanding unless you know it's right on the alabama river so i'm sure they fight off their fair share of poachers down there right Um, but but legally on the books there was very little pressure there so you wouldn't think it would change but um it does it 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 always changes in in my experience deer all that deer sign means is that there used to be deer there There there's a deer there yesterday so yeah um it changed, but just knowing in general, knowing where the oaks were, knowing where the pines were, the bedding areas, the feeding areas, the general corridors, um, being able to look at old rut signs, they hadn't really started rutting when I went up there. The young bucks were making scrapes. Um, 
but the areas that I had the most hopes for when I went back and, and looked at them, they were not as impressive. And then there were some new areas where they had changed a good bit. Um, that that being said, the hardest thing for me hunting up there was usually on the WMAs. If you find a good concentration of deer sign, stop scouting and hunt there. Yeah. And up there, man, it's a different world. Um, that SOA was infested with deer. And and you were liable to see a deer just any old place. Like I'm I'm literally just sitting there in my truck, recharging my phone, eating a ham sandwich, just just at a random location and there's four deer come walking by. It's <laughs> incredible. So it was really hard to narrow down a place to hunt. I feel like I left there. We killed two rack bucks and there's probably still a half dozen spots that that I would like to go back and hunt. Uh yeah. So phenomenal piece of property. So when you're scouting, you mentioned, you know, really looking for, uh, for, I I think you mentioned, I know you mentioned it when we were talking earlier, but trying to find the best concentration of deer sign. And, um, one of the things we talked about was trying to find actual deer when you're scouting, what are the things, how are you scouting a property like this that you've never stepped foot on, especially, you know, at a time like in October where a lot of the, a lot of the vegetation is going to be gone. Um, right. The leaves are going to be off the trees and things like that. How are you scouting that property? Man, it, it's first, I just like to walk. Um, I'm really lucky that way. I've never left the woods cause I got tired of it. It's always been, I got to leave. I like the squirrel hunt. I like the backpack in the summertime. So I'm kind of at a natural disadvantage uh, or a natural advantage because I'll I'll see the whole property one way or the other, um, but and that, and that's a big thing. I think a lot of people they're trying to scout as quickly as possible. They want to get on deer sign and then they want to hunt it. Well, a lot of times you might get on deer sign, and if you'd have gone two hundred yards further, you're going to get on better deer sign. And I'm a big believer. Every piece of property, whether it's fifty acres or fifty thousand acres. There's going to be one spot there that's that's the best, right? You got the 80-20 rule applies to everything in life. You know, 20% of people kill 80% of the deer. 20% of people at the office do 80% of the work. 20% of the acreage holds 80% of the deer in my mind. So I'm trying to find that 20% where it's loaded with deer, where you can't help but kill a deer. Um, and, And a lot of times those aren't the places that look good on the topo map. So I usually start, like when I went to Portland, I had two days to scout five or 600 acres. Um, not a big piece of property when you're used to hunting public land, but enough. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I did was drive the perimeter, establish what you got to work with. Um, then I drove the couple of roads that cut through the interior of the property. You could do a truck down from there. I just started walking the main roads until I had all the infrastructure. That's the first thing I do is put the infrastructure down, know where your access points are, know where your easy travel routes are. And as you're going, uh, this was all dirt roads, so I'm looking for deer tracks. Uh, it was very obvious within the first 20 minutes there were way more deer tracks up there than there were deer tracks down here. So I like I like to see deer tracks because most of them get late at night, but it gives you an idea of the concentration of deer in the area. Right. So you you look for that, and then as you're walking, I'm making marks on my hunt stand app. Anything I see that's interesting. 
Um, then I'll go back. I might start following usually any type of edge that you have where it goes from clear cut to hardwoods or from piney woods to oak woods, any type of interesting transition. And, and two, where it's just easy to navigate. So you start getting off those main trails into the woods proper where you actually need a compass and a map to navigate. It's easy to follow a creek or a transition line without having to constantly check that map. So you can cover a lot of distance still. Right. Um, and then as you go, kind of mark any trails, any rub line scrapes that you see. And then on the really interesting stuff, chances are when you cover your property, you're going to find two or three areas that just scream at you. And you want to really stop and look at those areas. We'll keep going, see the whole property, then circle back to those areas and follow that sign into the interiors of these little chunks of property that you've broken down because you've walked all the infrastructure and you've walked all the edges. Um, point up there, I was really trying to key in on the size rubs. You know, that's a very permanent piece of sign. Yeah. A rub will be there for years. So I was really looking for rubs that were belly higher, higher. That's not uncommon up there. So I found some real good rubs, marked all those places. And, of course, the whole time you're going, you're jumping deer. Um, and, then mean, you talked about that earlier. That's the number one thing I'm really hoping to see is a deer. That's what you're there for. You're not there looking for a hunting spot. You're not there looking for scrapes to take pictures of or anything like that. You're looking for a real live flesh and blood deer to put in the back of your pickup truck. Mm-hmm. So... If I find that, I'll stop what I'm doing, figure out as much as I can about why I think that deer is there, make a note of it, um, and and then just you know kind of kind of keep looking, cover the whole property, figure out where the deer are at, and it, it changed somewhat. Uh, we did when we came back for the hunt, we did a speed tour of the area. Um, I think that's important in season scouting. I think a lot of times that gets put on the back shelf because people are eager to get up in a tree. But we took, uh, they let you, the first day you could access the property from at 12 o'clock lunch. And we spent the first probably three hours kind of hitting the highlights. All the stuff that I thought I wanted to hunt last time, we looked at it, we paid attention to the first sign. And and then we hunted, we squeezed in a short hunt. Um, we both saw deer on it. He shot his seven point that first evening. Um, and I, I saw several does that first evening. So, and then from there, as you're hunting, um, so you're just you're, always pay attention. Your dad killed that big buck on that first day. Very first sip. Yes, sir. Wow. That's awesome. That's cool. What yeah, was, was what was the the specific thing? You know, you talked about you you putting him on that deer and it kind of being an area that that you had found. What what was the specific thing about that area that made you think, yeah, we need to go ahead and hunt this? So I would like to say that it was some sort of like super high speed analytical method on my part. It was pretty simple. There was a really good food plot there. The state dumped some money into a nice food plot. Um, and they hadn't planted it when I came there in October because we had that, that terrible drought over the summer. Um, but the food plot looked good. There were lots of tracks in it. And then from scouting in the summer, I don't know if they did it on purpose or if they just got lucky. But they put it kind of in the center of like the hub of a wagon wheel. And there was a lot of kind of edges and transition cover that fed into it and yeah. i had 
scouted and there were deer bedding on the river to the north. They were bedding in an old fence row to the west. They were bedding to the south on another old fence row. And then to the east of it, there was this young pine thicket that was just lousy with deer when I walked through it. I had deer blowing at me and snorting and stomping. So you got a food plot that you know hasn't been pressured, and there's deer bedding 360 degrees around it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that... And, and, it's perfect. Oh, I ahead. mean, I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it, it, it's it what really you're looking was, for. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I'm when I'm going out and looking at, we don't have a whole lot of food plots where I hunt on the public land that I hunt. Uh, but when I when I find you know a, a primary feed tree or something like that, uh, and it's in one of those hub type areas like what you're talking about, where where you have so much habitat that you know whether it's bedding or uh, transitions or anything that's kind of leading down to that same spot. I mean, it really works the same exact way. And then you add that it's not really been pressured. And I mean, that's, that's the main thing that people, you know, when I, when I joke about people who hunt on food plots, you know, on public land, you can throw that out the window when it comes to unpressured deer, because I mean, you'll, you'll kill deer on food plots when they're not pressured. It's just most of the time, whenever I'm, in the places where I hunt and that my own experience, that's not the best place to be. But it sounds like there was a whole lot of reasoning that went into, you know, going ahead and sitting in an area like that for your dad. Yeah. And especially he, it, it was funny because we both killed our deer exactly the way that we like to kill deer. <laughs> that's that's he, great. He, he killed his easy set. We, we looked at the whole piece of property. I said, man, somebody needs to sit that food plot. There's going to be deer on it. So I put him on it. Um, he walked out there in his shorts the day after Christmas, middle of January, middle or middle of December, middle of winter, 70 degrees that day, raining off and on. He walks out there in shorts, sits a couple hours, kills his big old deer. And uh, and then I killed mine on the like the last day of the hunt after walking all over God's green earth and looking at maps and plotting and planning, and which is the way I would want to do it. Um but yeah, the, as far as pressured deer, that was pressured versus unpressured. That was my hardest thing was to get that out of my head and and say, look, this is this ain't Kansas, so to speak. You're not in Kansas anymore. This isn't your usual day to day hunting. There's they're not rutting. They're not really hitting these scrapes and rub lines. There's no reason for them to hold up in these little honey holes that food plot's going to draw deer and it could just as soon draw a big deer as a little deer. And it, and it did. Um, now that was yeah. the only deer. That was another thing. That was the only buck that we saw in that food plot. Um, and we tried to stay on that food plot all weekend just to kind of cover it because they encourage you to shoot those, uh, for herd management. So we stayed on it and I would imagine, you know, that was, that was probably the only buck using that food plot during the daytime hours. And yeah. it's, thing is we went out there and we drove that truck out there and we loaded that deer up because those deer get hunted um around this way there's private clubs and stuff like that so the deer up there they weren't stupid they were still deer right Um, i got blowed at while i was hunting my dad got blowed at we got busted out of tree stands and stuff like that they know what's up um it's just not as bad as in most of the areas most people are hunting most of the time yeah And that's, that's a good nugget, you know, to take out of, out of that whole scenario is that, 
I mean, really, every scenario is different. When I went to Kentucky for the first time, that was the thing I had to get out of my head, you know, and I know I've pounded this into the dirt to people who listen to this faithfully, but, I mean, we went there and trying to hunt bedding and, you know, leeward sides of ridges and just really getting into the woods and hunting it, you know, quote-unquote hunting beast style and weren't seeing any deer. And, you know, (laughs) Bubba over here from wherever he's from, came and sat on a soybean field and killed a 140 inch buck his first night out, you know? And so, so we really, and, and still to this day, like it gets me every time I go into a place where I'm hunting unpressured deer, I'm still continuing to hunt them like they're pressured deer and it's just different. And it, it really, it really does pay to, uh, to, overthink and not overthink at the same time you know, you have to be you have to be flexible you have to let your mind like don't don't overthink things when you don't need to but sometimes it is necessary it's kind of one of those like i, I don't even know it's like kind of a you're screwed if you do screwed if you don't <laughs> you know what i mean uh well, the, no, i'm sorry go ahead i was just going to say every scenario is different and you have to learn what scenario you're scenario you're currently in and and try to take advantage of it absolutely well deer next to people deer are more diverse in the habitat that they live in and the differences between individuals and subspecies and stuff like that deer deer have survived by being adaptable a deer is happy anywhere that you put him you can put him a white tail that's the reason that they're they're moving further north every year into Canada. They're moving further south every year into Mexico. They're replacing mule deer. Um, you know, there's there's more whitetails now, say, than when the pilgrims landed. Right. So deer do very well. They're very adaptable. They're happy in deserts. They're happy in swamps with water up to their bellies. They're happy in mountains. So when you do stuff like that, something I really started kind of getting a good handle on when I started participating in forums where you've got guys hunting that are in the Northeast, Southeast, Midwest, everywhere all over the country, is that it's like Dan Infault versus John Eberhardt versus Juan Womack. Three guys, stone-cold killers from very different parts of the world. They might as well be hunting a different species. You know, you might as well, one of them be hunting elk and the other squirrels. Deer do different things just because you read somewhere that this is what deer do. That unless that person was hunting your county and your piece of property, that doesn't mean anything. I've got deer here in this same county. You hunt one piece of property, and you'll find deer in the low-lying areas. And if you went to another piece of property, they're on the high ground. It's just what deer are doing in that particular area. Deer don't read books on deer behavior. They don't follow along with the hunting beast posts. They don't read maps. A deer is going to do what he wants to do in that environment, and it can change. Um, yeah, drastically. Deer, I would. I mean, you and I, we both live in the same state, but you're in North Alabama. I'm in South Alabama. We're hunting two different subspecies of deer. Um, yeah. So that's that's actually that's an interesting thought because, um, so not uh, I'm not totally not trying to downplay what you're saying, but. I have always been of the opinion that uh, 
a deer, deer are deer. Now, I totally agree that they're going to be doing different things. What you said about deer's happy in swamps, they're happy in deserts, that is 100% true. I do think that there are, uh, this is one thing I've been concentrating on this year, there are common denominators for deer behavior about where you will find them most likely. And, uh, you know, like where, where does a deer bed? There's going to be a common denominator in all of those where a deer is going to bed at most of the time or a lot of the time. And so that, that would be an interesting thing. I would want to hear from listeners, uh, which side do they stand on? And I think we could probably, me and you could probably find a happy medium, something that we both agree on in that, in that conversation, because I don't disagree with you at all. And and I, I would imagine you probably don't necessarily disagree with what I'm saying, but go to the uh, Southern Ground Open Forum. If you're listening to this, go to the Southern Ground Open Forum. And uh, I'm going to start a discussion on this, on deer behavior versus the uh, the region that they're in or the habitat that they're found in. And uh, check that out. I'm going to do it as soon as we're done recording this. And uh, hopefully we'll get a good conversation started. That's good, though. I mean, those kind of conversations are the ones that, that make people better, I think. And, uh, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, you talking about that, man, that that's that's very interesting and, and it just kinda goes back to every scenario is different. Well and, and before we move on, I know we we still got some ground to cover, but I wanna say I, I do I agree with you and I maintain my position. They're not mutually exclusive. So a deer is a very simple animal. All that they want to do, they're they're a prey species. So they want to not get eaten, they want to keep their bellies full. And then for like that little magic period of the year called the rut, they would like to reproduce. Yep. That's all that they do. They don't worry about a paycheck. They don't worry about moving up in the world. They just want to eat and not be. And then they want to make sure that they continue their species. So they're going to do that. They're going to bed in areas where nothing messes with them. They're going to eat in areas where there's food. The thing is, just because they live in so many different habitats, Deer in one place, down here in Baldwin County even, they might be surviving mainly off of Yalpon holly and browse. In another area, they might be almost exclusively eating acorns. Um, and those those different, the, the plants that grow there, the soil types, um, the easy travel areas, where you're going to find that bedding area, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary just because it's like two people, people are the same. Most people want the same things for themselves. You and yeah. I want the same thing for the most part that anybody else listening to this podcast listens to. But an individual from Mobile, Alabama is going to be a very different individual in some ways than somebody from Chicago, Illinois, or from New York yeah. City, or from Beijing, or from Paris, or, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. There's going to yeah, be I agree. little differences there. I agree. I think that's that's awesome. All right, so... So moving on. So your dad kills that big buck the first day. Uh, what was the rest of the trip like? Yep. So we spent, let me see, he killed that the very first evening. And then we spent the next day, that was that was our doe killing day. So I saw that morning, I sat a place that was just on fire back in October. Bunch of good oak trees dropping, bunch of deer sign. And when we went back to it, it looked like a cattle trail going through the woods, and there were scrapes. <laughs> I was probably looking at 12 scrapes wow. just out of that one tree. And I hunted there, had a six-point that I'd have shot anywhere else, 
but he wouldn't have been a legal deer at the SOA because the antler restrictions. He sat there and ate acorns for about an hour. My dad saw some deer. That evening, I took my turn at the plot, shot a doe, or, and then he shot a doe. The next morning, we got up, and I sat in an area, and about an hour into it, I wasn't feeling it. I got up, and uh, I moved. Started just kind of moving with the wind in my face. It was real rainy. Um, you, you've probably been going through it, too. We've had a pretty warm winter. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, in my mind, I like it to get cold, but it was like 70 degrees the whole time, on and off rain. So when it's raining like that, I like to move because you can move quietly, and we could rifle hunt, so your odds on a stalk are pretty good. So I started slipping. The, the buck that I had seen that morning, he came out of a cypress slip up into the oak woods. So I started working with the wind in my face, kind of along the edge of the cypress slough, and uh, jumped up a doe. And I heard her get up out of her bed. If, if anybody, if you have a dog, you've heard it a million times. You've heard that dog jump to his feet and kind of mm-hmm. scramble around. Well, that's, that's what this doe did. She jumped up. I froze. She tried to get behind me. Um, I've seen deer and hogs do that a lot. Just if you're moving and they kind of hear you, kind of don't, they'll try to circle around behind you. So she tried to circle. I shot her, gutted her out, drove her to the road, and then it was still fairly early in the morning, so I kept pushing. And I come upon a pine thicket, and I was just easing down that pine thicket, and you could kind of see down the rows. You know, planted pines, they're, they're nice that way. So I'd walk a little bit, look down the row, walk to the next row, look down it. And as I was walking, I saw a deer coming, and uh, it was a doe, and then behind her came two bucks, and I settled my crosshairs on the shoulder of the bigger buck. And I, I, I could see four on one side. Almost shot him, didn't. And uh, man, then I was fired up. I'm like, man, I've done killed a deer. I've done seen these three deer walking in this thicket. Like, this this is it. Because we hadn't been seeing since, since Pop had killed his deer. We'd been seeing smaller bucks, little sixes and fours, stuff like that. Small year and a half old bucks. And uh, we just weren't seeing the big bucks. I was like, they're on this property somewhere. So I'm like, okay, that's where they're at. They're in this pine thicket. It was on the far south end of the property. We hadn't been messing with it at that point. I'm like, this is where they're at. So I looked, and I found on the map where there was this little bunch of oaks in between the thicket, the pine thicket that I'd seen them in, and another pine thicket just off to the west. So imagine you got on the east pine thicket, west pine thicket, and then to the north, there was this really thick, swampy area. And there were some really good rubs in there during the the summertime scouting I did or during the preseason scouting. I was like, man, that just looks good. And there was this little, to the south of that, that thick swampy area, he had a little opening. It was maybe 100 yards wide square of just oaks. I'm like, man, that looks, we know that they're not on the food plot because we've been keeping on the food plot. Um, I had made some sits on the river bottom where there were some acorns and hadn't seen any real impressive deer activity. I said, that would be the perfect place for a big buck who's got a little bit of sense. We know that they're in that pine thicket. When that deer gets up this evening to go eat, that's the perfect little out-of-the-way place for him to go grab a bite on his way maybe to that food plot once it gets dark. So um, I told my dad, I'm like, hey, like, 
we got to get back out here. Like we got to get this doe taken care of, but I got to get back out here. So we got the doe took care of, got her at the check station, ran back, washed all of my clothes, went back out there with my stand and my saddle set up, um, kind of, kind of crept in there, walked down the road till I come to the thicket or I'm sorry, come to the Oak flat, walked up that Oak flat just in the middle of it. I figured they're not going to be in these open woods until it gets later. And, uh, just found the first likely tree. I actually bumped some deer going up in there and it kind of broke my heart a little bit. I'm like, well, that might've been them. But, but again, you know, like on the flip side of that, okay, there are definitely deer using this area right now today. Yeah. So I, I set up and man, I've been set up maybe 15 minutes and hugging the edge of the pines and the oaks. Here he comes just slipping through the woods, doing what big bucks do. I, I knew before I could see, I could just see flashes of antlers and I'm like, yeah, that's a good deer. He's acting. He's doing the things big deer should do. He's slipping. He's not like these little bucks we've been seeing that are just trotting through the woods. Yep. He's sneaking. So he comes sneaking, and he gets about 50 yards, and he starts eating under an acorn tree. Well, I'm sitting there about 10 foot up in the air with my 30 off 6 I'm like, man, this is gravy. And uh, I took a good long look at him, and I figured he was probably a legal deer. And we were getting up on the last day of the hunt. I said, I'm going to shoot him. That's just too cool. Me and my dad were both going to limit out. Shoot our bucks, double up, and uh, settled the crosshairs on him while he was sitting there eating acorns, pulled the trigger, and it goes, click. Oh, no. And, dude, I about threw up in my mouth. I don't usually <laughs> get buck fever too bad. And, uh, but when I, and he never heard it. He was still crunching acorns. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's never happened in my whole life. And here it is, possibly biggest deer I've ever killed. So I bolted another round up in there. And then the embarrassing part that if I had any sense, I wouldn't talk about on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Once I had a round up in the chamber, by then I was so shook up. uh, I missed him, smooth missed him at 50, 60 yards. (laughs) Oh, I don't know how, and it was really bad. I got a buddy that got a kick out of this story because I had just gotten to give him a hard time. He missed a deer at like 10 yards that came by to trot under a stand with a rifle. And we were talking about humiliating, a, how humiliating a miss with a rifle was and everything. And I gave him a hard time, like a good hunting buddy should. Yeah. And sure. then I turned around and did the same thing. And, uh, well, he heard the shot and he bolted, but he bolted in that thicket and he stopped, which is not uncommon in my experience deer will go until they think they're safe and i think a rifle shot especially that close i don't think they can tell where it's coming from yeah so he made it to security cover and he stopped and i bolted another round up and the rest is history managed to shoot him right in the shoulder crease and uh then from there on out it was just a long drag out of the woods he was i'm not sure if he's my personal best he was a well, he probably was, because I think I got a deer on my wall I'm looking at right now that's got like 18-inch main beams, and I think one of his was a 21 and a 22. Okay, um, that's a good buck. Good, good. Yeah, he was he was a good buck. I mean, any deer that you shoot on an SOA hunt, if you get drawn for an SOA hunt, they walk you through what the minimum requirements are. And for this area, it was a 16-inch inside spread or an 18-inch main beam. Okay. Um, I've I've never killed a deer with a 16 inch inside spread. My dad's was 16 inches, seven points, and I think like a 20 and a 22 inch main beam. 
both good deer. His was bigger. His was like 200 pounds live weight, and mine was maybe 170. Okay. 180. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it, but uh, but yeah, it was it was both both of our deer were excellent excellent hunts, and and just the way that we would like them. My dad, he's not as mad at him as he used to be, so <laughs> he like he likes he likes to go and have a good time, and he jokes, I like to go have a bad time. I'm not yeah. happy unless I'm miserable if I'm deer hunting. So, <laughs> I understand, uh, <laughs> but. I would I would definitely recommend if anybody uh and I hate to say this because then y'all gonna put in and y'all gonna reduce my odds of being drawn, but it's uh doesn't cost anything to put in. All the state guys that were there were super nice, super helpful. Um I gave the biologist a call at that area. I said, Hey man, I done shot this deer and I'm pretty good good poke from my truck uh there's a road system here but i don't think i can get my two-wheel drive truck you think i could get somebody to come in here and help me out and he's like yeah he said they're on their way already they got the buggy so they oh, helped, helped us get the deer out the woods um had a real nice facility um just just awesome guys one guy in particular and i won't give his name out because i don't want people bothering him too bad but um he was a lot of help he we chit-chatted some when i went up on the scouting days and he uh he he was very the guys up there they really want to see you succeed they're proud of the areas they're happy to be out there um they want to see you shoot some deer which is nice yeah absolutely that's and i think most people would be surprised to know that most of the people out there doing that stuff that's their job they love it like they love they love seeing people be successful on the stuff that they've been working hard to do you know, all off season long, they've been working hard trying to make sure that it's good habitat and that people are successful. I think people would be surprised to know. I had similar experiences to that, uh, on a WMA I hunted in Kentucky where the guy, you know, we just, we talked and he helped out a ton. And I mean, now almost every time I go back, I see the guy and he knows who I am and, you know, tells me, Hey, we've been seeing deer over here. We've been seeing deer over here. Like they just, they, they eat that stuff up. They love it. So, um, that's cool. It it seems like that the kind of common trend that I'm seeing, especially out of this SOA hunt is that you really adapted. You, You really, I guess in, in a term that deer hunters like us and people who are listening to this, would uh, recognize you were extremely mobile. You know, you went in, scouted, saw some things that you liked. Um, I'm sure saw some things that you marked off the list. And when you got there to hunt, things were a little bit different. And uh, what it kind of sounds like to me is with this big buck that you killed, you know, getting down, walking around, checking stuff out, kind of doing some hunt scouting. And uh, that really seemed to pay off. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. And I, I tell people like you, you listen to people who say, man, I've been hunting so hard. I've been sitting from dark till dark and, and, and walking my, the boot leather off of my, off my shoes. And I just haven't seen any deer. You know, I've been sitting and sitting and sitting and I'm a big believer in like, like a deer. Every time a deer gets up and moves around, he's making a bet. He's betting that there's not a hunter in the woods that's going to shoot at him. Yeah. Every day of his life. Like, it's 
we talk about sportsmanlike conduct and stuff like that, but it's it's not that sporting because a deer he only has to lose one time. You there's no penalty for you for losing. You get to go home at the end of the day. He doesn't. So yeah. when he gets up and he moves around, or when she gets up and moves around, if you got a doe with her fawns, he's trying to protect her fawns and keep herself alive. They're making the bet that there's not a hunter in the woods. So I try not to sit on an area. Um, I've gotten better since I started doing this. I won't sit in an area unless I feel comfortable. I imagine myself that there's a man in a mask sitting back at my truck, and if I come back and I haven't at least seen a deer, he's going to shoot me in the head. (laughs) (laughs) And and it sounds goofy, and it is. But when you do that, when you're walking through an area and you see this one scrape or this little rub line, and you're like, well, maybe I'll hunt here. And you think about that man in the mask. <laughs> That's and you keep and you keep walking a little bit further because you're like I I don't know I don't know if I want to settle for maybe so I try not to set up in an area unless I'm about ninety percent sure that there's going to be a deer come to that area the the, the droppings got to be fresh the tracks got to be fresh or I've got to bump a deer and feel like that area has the potential to hold more than that one deer. So how many times would the man in the mask have shot you in the head by now? Oh, I'd have, I'd have been dead probably the first week in deer season. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would not be a very good deer. It's uh, it's it's lucky that they don't live that long and we live a real long time. Because if yeah. we didn't live, but as long as a deer does, I don't think we'd hardly ever get the experience in the time in the woods. You know, they, I mean, they're there. 365 days a year doesn't matter if the weather's right or the moon's right that that deer's in the woods yeah he's he's on his a game constantly he has to be yeah or or he ain't gonna be there anymore you know especially if a deer hits four and a half years old he's had people gunning with him since you know since he sprouted antlers here in this state and he was a legal deer to kill he's he's had people gunning for him and i don't i don't agree with people who say that big bucks are smart um it's an animal. It's not even a, a carnivore. It's a prey animal. They're not that smart. It's like a goat. They're not even as smart as your dog or your cat. But they are, in their own way, they're very effective at, at doing what they need to do to survive. Um, yeah. They have, They have. if you ever read uh, Dr. Bob Shepard, I'm a big fan of him. He says they yep. have very simple but very effective little brains. <laughs> yeah. They're they're just geared towards keeping them alive another twenty four hours. That is. Yeah, that's. So. I mean, that's that's so true. Um, I, I do think one of the things that I'm going to take away from this podcast is the uh, is the man in the mask waiting at the truck. Uh, I have a yeah. I have kind of my own version of it. It's not quite that violent, but uh, <laughs> I do. You know, I I do have a thing. You know, this year I haven't had a whole lot of sits where I haven't seen deer, and so. Uh, I didn't see a deer, what was it, uh, two days ago I went, it was it was New Year's Eve, and I didn't see a deer that morning, I was like, well crap, it looks like I'm not eating lunch today, because I'm not about to not see a deer on this sit, I'm going to sit all day, and I wasn't planning on it, and uh, yeah. so I ended up getting down and walking, and uh, just walking basically until I saw a deer, so that way I could yeah. say, hey, I saw a deer today, you know, and I ended up missing a doe. It was the last day of doe days in this zone, and I missed a doe at like 200 yards. So uh, it was a yeah, free-handed well, shot. Well, but still, I saw a deer. So I, the man in the mask sure. wouldn't have shot me that day. That's it. And and that's 
like this evening's hunt. So I've been on a pretty good streak this week. Killed uh, killed some does and killed that buck up at Portland. Killed a deer up at my lease yesterday. Killed a six point. Um, and then this evening, uh, we kind of took an early out at work. My wife hasn't been feeling great, so I dropped her off here, made sure she was took care of, and I went to hunt a local uh, Forever Wild property. And I had I scouted it pretty hard in turkey season, and found some good spots. But like we've talked about, you're not looking for a good spot. You're looking for a deer. So these spots that look good in turkey season, they didn't look that great no more. So I kept walking until I bumped a deer out to clear cut. And I said, okay, well, this is where the deer are today. January 2nd, 2020, there's at least one deer. I'm not seeing just a whole lot of sign, but there's a deer here. And where there's one deer, there's usually more than one. So I sat up on it. And sure enough, right around dark, here, here comes a doe right there at that tree that it didn't look like anything on the map. Wasn't an area that I'd scouted before, but she was in that same area and, and got to shoot her. Um, that's, that's, a, that's the thing. Look, don't, don't be satisfied unless you're on deer. You're there to kill deer, find deer. You're not there to take pictures of tracks. You're not there doing a scientific study on the number of scrapes per acre in an area you're looking for a flesh and blood deer like that's that's what a wind looks like is you found a deer yeah i mean man that's that, I, I can think i can think of several things that i've heard people say videos that i've watched podcasts that i've listened to listened to that uh little phrases like that that have really stuck with me every single time i'm out uh you know i i watched i'll give you a good example i watched a video that garrett prawl did uh, and I can't remember where he was hunting at. It seems like it was when he was hunting, uh, North Dakota maybe, or something like that. And he ended up shooting a big buck on that trip. But one of the days he was out and he was about, about to hunt, hunt an area that he had scouted on a map, I think. And he got in there and realized, man, even if a deer is here, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to see it because it's too, it is just too dense in here. It's too thick. Yep probably a deer won't even move through here and it was late and he was he was like i'm just gonna i'm gonna go hunt another spot where I, at least i have a chance of seeing a deer that little part of that video really stuck with me when i go into an area that i've scouted that i've had my heart set on and i get there and it really sucks i would rather be late to a spot and see deer be late to a spot where the deer live than be on time to a spot where deer are not and absolutely man those little things like that have really stuck with me and i think what you're talking about you know you're there to kill deer don't be satisfied and i can see a lot of people uh, are gonna hear that and it's gonna be it's gonna stick with them for a long time and uh man i i do i do really like those little those little things like that that that's why i keep coming back to podcasts that's why i keep learning i keep trying to listen to people like yourself who are uh having a whole lot of success and seeing what are the things that make them successful and I would I would venture out to say probably and you can answer this that that thought in your mind is one of the things that makes you pretty successful part of the 20% well and and I I, I tell people all the time I joke around and I'm not a Warren Womack or a John Eberhardt yet but by the time I get as old as they are I fully intend to be uh, so it's, it's still a work in progress, but yeah, and it's and it's something 
that that has been said to me a lot just this season. So I've started doing it several years back, but this year in particular, I got one buddy who has a pretty good track record shooting big bucks, and he says, "Man, killing deer is easy. You just gotta hunt where they live." Yeah. He's like if you're not if you're not kidding, he's like that's it. That's all there is to it. Like there's. Forget everything else. Forget the camo patterns or whether you're hunting out of a saddle or all these tactics that you read about. And and he's right. And that's something uh, I know we kind of touched on Dr. Shepard. He's an Alabama guy who's got a book that makes a whole lot of sense. And he says that's the number one thing that you're looking for is quality whitetail habit. Where do the deer live? And I would much rather be a mediocre hunter who has access to quality habitat than be the best and smartest and hardest working hunter in the world and be hunting an area where there just aren't that many deer or aren't any deer. And there's areas, there's some public ground, there's some private ground. There's areas I've walked where you walk in, you're like, man, it's, it's just a ghost town. There ain't any deer here. And uh, it might be 15 minutes from your house. It might be super convenient to you. It might be pretty woods. Might have a nice food plot on it, nice shooting house, whatever the case may be. But if there aren't deer there, keep keep looking. And yep. that that simple thing, just hunt where the deer are. That's it. Yeah. If you have a good grasp of that, if you just refuse to hunt where the deer aren't, it's kind of a truism, you know. Yeah, for uh, sure. But but it works. For sure, man. I uh, like right now. I'm sitting here and my like. I took some some medicine earlier i told you i wasn't i've had like this super bad head cold <laughs> and this medicine is starting yeah. to kick in on me right now and like i'm i don't want to like uh blow my nose while i'm on a podcast and uh, we're about <laughs> running out on time and also I, I i'm feeling like i took like a pm medicine something to make me go to sleep or something <laughs> like that and so like i'm getting like super super lightheaded as we're recording this podcast this is not the normal ending to a podcast that we would normally have but dude it has been a pleasure getting to talk to you and hearing all the i mean all just the success that you've had this year and man those little those little nuggets of wisdom that you're given right there towards the end man i think i think that is uh that is definitely worth worth people listening to this and taking some of that and applying it to their own situation for sure absolutely well uh if you need to go, that, that's, that's understandable. Uh, you, you were mentioning earlier the year was over. You, uh, our rut down here seems like it goes till about turkey season. We're not even started yet. So yeah, if, uh, if you want to come poke around down here, I know we're a couple hours away, but come on. We, we got a place to put you. We got air mattress. Heck yeah, man. Well, I, like I said, it, it's over where I hunt, but I'm not giving up yet. Like I'm, I am, I've got a whole state still that uh, a lot of it still seems to be kind of like what you're talking about where the the rut i have actually killed a buck not too terribly far from here chasing does on the last day of the season several years ago so uh that I'm not that february season that was about the best thing that dcnr has done in my lifetime because i've killed deer or at least seen bucks chasing every year since they implemented that season heck so. yeah dude I'm, I'm excited about it i know a lot of guys listen to this are in that same situation where going through November and you're watching, you know, all the Facebook pages, people killing bucks and, oh, the rut's hot and heavy here, hunting in, you know, Midwestern states or whatever. And it's kind of like, well, it ain't even really started here yet. So, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've never, uh, I've never 
Well, I say I never. I just talked about a buck that I killed. But in a long time, I have not had to uh, to hunt too terribly hard after the beginning of the new year. So uh, this year is going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But, man, I do appreciate you uh, coming on the show. One last time, tell us where we can find out more about you on YouTube, on social media, anything like that. Yeah, so I, I got a YouTube channel. It's called Nutter Busters. And then if uh, I'm not really active a whole lot on social media or on the forums, but I do do tend to be on the Saddle Hunter forum every day, and that, that's my handle there. It's Nutter Busters. So if for some reason you would like to hear more of my rambling, that's going to be where you find it. Perfect, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Uh, Nick, again, appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate everything you said, man. Those those little little things that that you were talking about, like the I know it's kind of funny, but the man in the mask that is waiting at the truck, and if you don't kill a deer, he's going to shoot you in the head. Like I've I've heard those type of things before, and they've stuck with me for the rest of my life. And uh, those those type of things are what make me a better deer hunter than I used to be. And uh, man, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, congratulations on an awesome season. Uh, guys, if you listen to this, make sure you check out Nutterbuster's YouTube channel. Uh, lots of great content coming there. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy that. So, and I ain't got nothing else for you guys. If you're going to be in the woods, remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.